Hey, we've been talking about Advent and the unfinished work of Jesus, that there is still something that Jesus is coming to do. And this morning, if you can't tell from the reading, today we are talking about peace. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, peace. If they held fingers up, just break them. We're not talking about that kind of peace, right? We're talking about real peace. Hey, have you ever had an experience before where you knew that someone was coming and that knowledge that someone was coming changed immediately what you were doing? Like, I'm kind of going way back to when I was a kid, right? And mom and dad came and they said, listen, when we get home today, that room better be clean. You know, I dilly-dallied all day, ate a Hot Pocket, took a nap, woke up, my sister comes in the room and says, Dad's coming. Get up and immediately start doing, you know, the 20-minute shuffle of how much stuff can I cram in a kid's closet so I don't get a whooping. Y'all know. Or maybe you're sitting at home on a Saturday and you get news that, surprise, the in-laws are coming and they're five minutes away. And there's been a hurricane go through your house all week because of your children. And so you and your wife, you get together and you just cram everything that's in your house into a closet and decide, we'll figure it out later. Someone's coming. Or maybe you're like me right now and the only person that you can think about coming is, well, let's just watch this video and we'll see. It's got to be on the top five best Christmas movies of all time, right? Hey, I had people amen in first service. This is the only thing they amen for was Will Ferrell, so, you know. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> hey, friend, let me tell you, someone is coming. And I'm not talking about Santa. I'm not talking about Dad coming to check on your room. I'm not even talking about a spouse or your in-laws surprising you and coming home early. I'm talking about the King of Kings. Friend, he is coming He's coming again. The Bible says this about Jesus' first coming, that when he was born, the Bible said this, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The presence of Jesus always comes with peace. It came to peace when he came the first time, and friend, let me assure you, by the authority of the scriptures, he's coming again, and peace again is going to come with him for all those who are his. Peace. Today, I want to spend our time together, and I want to show you three ways that Jesus will bring peace to those who are his at his second coming. Will you pray this over yourself before we read today? Pray, God, speak. And I will listen. Father God, that's our prayer this morning, that you might come, God, and that you might speak through your word. And that you would cause us to be able to listen, to hear what we need to hear, and then to go and do what we need to do, God. Jesus, I pray that you might grow your church today. God, send us your peace and remind us that your son is, is coming again 
so that those who are in him, so that those who are his might experience peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's on the screen, and it's also a Bible in front of you, underneath your seat. It'll be on page 758. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Here's what the Word of God says. Then I, this is John, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him so that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was The Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen. They followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juices flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. The very first thing that I want you to see that Jesus is going to do, the very first way that he is going to bring in peace at his second coming, is that the Bible says that when he comes, he will bring peace as the judge. The judge. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says this, And I saw that heaven was open, a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly. And wages a righteous war. This justice that Jesus will bring will usher in peace. Here's the truth about peace all of us yearn for peace, all of us have an innate desire to see things come to peace. But friend, peace can never, ever be accomplished unless there is justice in the other hand. There must be justice if peace is going to be attained. And the Bible clearly points out and says that Jesus is the one who will bring true justice. He is faithful and true. And the judgment that Jesus brings, friend, you don't have to worry. There won't be a paid judge. There won't be a paid jury. It will be faithful and it will be true. And here's the other thing about when Jesus judges there will be no hearing. There will be no cross-examination. There will be no witnesses. There will be no expert testimony. There will be no deliberation. There will be no jury. He is coming to bring judgment, and his judgment will be just. He's the ruler, the judge that we long for, faithful and true. He knows every action, every intention of the heart. And Jesus is coming to judge. He will judge the living and the dead. And listen to me, because he lived a perfect life and because he died a perfect death, no one person will be able to stand before Jesus and say the words, how can you judge me? No one will be able to say that before Christ Almighty. When you and I think about this word judgment, where does your mind go? Let me tell you where mine goes. Well, I've actually got a picture of it. It goes right here. I think about the Planet Fitness, the PF. 
you know, the home of the judgment-free zone. No critics, no drunting, no lunks. That's what I think about when I think about judgment, a judgment-free zone. But y'all, let me tell you something. When Jesus comes back, he ain't gonna have a Planet Fitness membership. He, he will not be in a place that is a judgment-free zone, friend. He is the judgment. And so here's the question. Are you ready for that? Michael, I thought we was talking about peace today. I thought I was going to feel good after leaving the day. I hope you do. But that's a question that you and I got to ask and answer. Am I ready for the judgment? Hey, let me tell you three things that are coming alongside Jesus' judgment that's meant to bring you peace. Okay? The very first thing that Jesus is going to do with the judgment that he brings is that he is going to extend grace. Extend grace. Because here's the truth for you and here's the truth for me. All of us will stand before Jesus and we will all hear the same word. Guilty. Guilty as charged. And for those who are Christ, he will immediately follow up with this next phrase, but pardoned. Guilty, but pardoned. You ever knew punishment was coming for you? And you just knew it was going to be so bad. And then the punishment was withheld, and you received mercy, and you received grace instead. That's what it will be like for those who are his in the judgment, guilty, but pardoned. The second thing that Christ will do in his judgment is that the Bible says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, to every man, that's universal language, that's man, woman, child, for every man, God will repay each person to what they have done. Friends, Jesus is going to come back and give rewards to look at your life, what you have done. And I think it's interesting here, and I just... I want to harp on the church for a little bit. The Bible does not say that Jesus is going to come back and give rewards for those things that you haven't done and you think it makes you holy and you think it makes you righteous. That Those are not the rewards he's given. He's given the rewards for what we have done. He's going to extend grace. He's going to give rewards. And the third thing about the judgment is this going to signal that the opportunity for God's grace it's now past. It, it, it will be over with in that moment, friend. You might be sitting here today thinking, Michael, that doesn't sound very peaceful. Friend, if you're alive, if you're breathing, there's still time to make it be peaceful. Don't wait. Because I'm here to tell you today, the judge is coming. And he will judge faithfully and true. And the work of the judge, listen to this. This is what we all long for. The work of the judge will bring peace to all conflicts. Can you imagine living in a world where there is peace in all conflicts? Arguing with my spouse, not no more. Peace in all conflicts. Raising some heathen children, not no more. Peace in all conflicts. Working for a narcissist, not no more. Peace in all conflicts. Jesus is coming to judge. And the root of the judgment for the believer should fill us with hope because that means peace is on its way, friend, for those who are in him. Are you ready for that? Hey, if not, don't put off doing business with God. Don't wait. The second thing that Jesus is going to do to come and bring peace 
is that he will bring peace as the great high priest. Read with me again, Revelation chapter 19, verses 13 through 14. Listen to this. He, that's Jesus, wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, and they followed him on white horses. Every Jewish man and woman would have thought one thing when John writes about this one coming dressed in a robe, and it's different than what you're thinking. He's not talking about Jesus coming back and he just got some fresh new robe from Bath and Body Works because it was on sale at Christmas. That's not what he's talking about. The robe was a symbol, and it was something that the priests would wear. We don't really put emphasis on priests anymore because, listen, we don't have to. We have a great high priest. I don't need a man to go talk to, and that man will go talk to God for me. I can talk to Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says that he's coming back wearing a robe, and this is priest language, and the priests had one job, and that was to help God's people be reconciled to God. Everybody say the word Josephus. Don't worry, you just said it wrong, and so did I. It's okay. Josephus is a famous ancient historian, and Josephus says that at the time of Passover, when all the Jews would come once a year for mandates, and they would come and bring sacrifices, Josephus says that they would sacrifice over 250,000 animals over that period of a couple days. And you know who's sacrificing every one of those animals? I'll give you a hint. It's somebody wearing a robe. Starts with P, ends with Reist. A priest. A priest is sacrificing every single one of those animals. Why? For forgiveness of sin, friend. Hey, let me tell you the best news about Jesus coming back as your high priest. The Bible says that when he comes back riding on that white horse, that the robe is already dipped in what? It is already dipped in blood. You know why? Because the sacrifice is done. It is finished, friend. The sacrifice has been made, it has been given, and it has been accepted. And he is coming back as the conquering high priest, one who has conquered death, one who has conquered sin, the power of it, sin, the penalty of it, one who has conquered and that is good news for you and me, friend, because we can rest assured in what I think are the most powerful words in all the Bible, John 19, 30. It is finished. It's paid for. The atonement is done, and Jesus is coming back as the high priest with his robe already dipped in blood because it is finished. Friend, rest assured, and let me tell you this, there can be atonement in no one else. No one else. Let me ask you a question. Are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Like, is your life covered by it? Michael, is it really that important that this idea of blood in the Bible, y'all, it is so important that in the book of Exodus, God gives us a glimpse of what is coming in the future. He sends 10 plagues, and the 10th plague is terrible, the death of the first one. And remember, how did they escape from the death of the first one? They had to cover the doorposts of their house with what? with blood and that image remains the same thousands of years later there were two posts that were put together and blood was covered on it from a savior who died and was crucified on it 
Are you covered by the blood of Christ? It is only by his blood that you and I can be made reconciled and be made right with God through the atonement. Hey, listen to me and look at me. I want to burst your bubble because I love you. You are not a good person. I am not a good person. We are terrible. We are heinous. And the very fact that we think that we are good people proves the point that we are not good people. We have a problem that we need a high priest to fix, and the problem is not your spouse. The problem is not your kids. The problem is not where you work. The problem is not your boss. The biggest problem that you have in life, friend, is you. And the biggest problem that I have in life is me. And I can do nothing about it. But Jesus can. Jesus can because he shed his perfect blood to make me right with God. And it's only through Jesus. It is only through Jesus that you and I can be reconciled with God. Here's what the book of Hebrews says about Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12. Listen. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priests would stand and minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. Listen to this. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, and it's good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. Friend, let me tell you something with authority this morning. Without the blood of Jesus, you will never experience the peace of God on your life with being made reconciled with God Almighty. Your spiritual condition left up to you will stay dead. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag. You want to know how filthy it is? Come talk to me after service. I can't even tell you how filthy it is from the pulpit. I'll give you a story of what the Bible really means when it talks about your righteousness being a filthy rag. But Jesus and his blood... When it covers us, the sacrifice of the great high priest, it brings the peace of God, us being made right with him. The sacrifice of this great high priest brings peace to our spiritual condition. Let me show you the third way that Jesus is going to come and bring peace. He will bring peace as the rightful king. The rightful king. Look what the word says. Revelation chapter 19, verses 15 through 16. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. 
Friend, you need to know that the very first time that Jesus came, the Bible says that he came as the lamb, the lamb of God to be slain. But y'all, when he comes next time, he is coming as the lion of Judah and the lion will rule. It will rule and reign. And Michael, how will it rule and reign? The Bible says that Jesus will rule and reign by the authority of his word. He will speak and the nations will be punished by speaking. You know what's amazing? When you start reading the Bible, what the Bible has to say about the power of the word, and we obsess with power, like we want more power in our life, gotta upgrade that V6 to a V8, gotta have more power, gotta get that bigger lawnmower, gotta have more power. And let me tell you something, we, we do all these things to get power, and we neglect the main power which is the word of God. Jesus is going to come and speak in the nations that stand against him. They will crumble by the authority of his word. He's going to rule and reign as the rightful king. And here's, here's the thing about his kingdom, y'all. It's an everlasting kingdom. There will be no Viking invasions. Amen. It's a kingdom where there ain't gonna be nobody usurping the throne. Amen. It's a kingdom where he will sit and rule and reign in righteousness. And here's what's crazy. He's going to invite you and me to rule and to reign with him. Boy, that'll blow your mind. See, see, here's what we do. We live for our own kingdom right now. How do I build my kingdom right here, right now, and build it the best? And here's what God wants us to do. Forget your kingdom. Build my kingdom so you can help me rule it later. And the more you lay down of your kingdom now, the more you're going to get of the kingdom then. He's going to come and he's going to rule and reign as the rightful king. Y'all, this idea of Jesus being a king is true all throughout his life. The wise men, at the mention of his birth, you know what they come? They come and they bring him gifts fitting for a king. At Jesus' death... The Romans think they're mocking Jesus. They're not mocking Jesus. They're writing something down that people are going to use for a sermon. They put up a sign behind it says, what does it say? King of the Jews. Amen. Praise God. King of the Jews. About to be king of the world. He's coming to rule and reign as the king. And he's going to rule and reign by the authority of his word. And I don't know about you, but friend, the, the more I read the words of Jesus, the more I get wrecked. Like personally, it wrecks me to hear the words of Jesus. And that's what it should feel like. That's why the Bible describes his words as a sword. The Bible describes the Bible as literally the living word of God. that will pierce you. And that book is powerful and Jesus is going to come and reign with his words. Hey, every king has a kingdom and every king sits on a what? Every king sits on a throne, right? Anybody got my seat in your house, right? That's my seat. It's my dinner table seat. I like to sit right there because I can see the TV at the same time while I'm eating dinner. That's my recliner because it's right here by the air vent and I get really hot and I just like to crank it out and stick my face over it and just enjoy that fresh air. That's my seat. Anybody got that seat in your house? Okay, just me and a couple people. I'll talk to you. No problem. Anybody remember being a really little kid and you go sit and maybe you're at grandma or grandpa's house and uncle's house, wherever, but you sit in a seat and it's the best seat in the house and somebody has to come tell you, hey boy, you got to go. That's my seat. You ever had that experience? 
You know, I thought my dad was going to tell me every time, son, you can sit in my chair as long as you want. Just enjoy it. That's what I'm expecting every time. And every time I got the same thing. Hey, go on, get, sitting there. Just pulled 12 hours at UPS. Go on, get up. I'm sitting here. Hey, let me tell you something about the throne. Y'all, the king is coming to sit on the throne. And some of us are going to be really shocked to find out that when we became Jesus's, when we claimed the blood of the blood of Christ on our life, we're going to be shocked to find out that we had no business sitting on the throne of our life anymore. When you give yourself to Christ, you get up off the throne and invite him to sit there. That's his rightful place. It's his seat. And some of us are going to be real shocked to hear Jesus say the words, Hey, get up. You've sat on my throne long enough. It's my throne. It's my life. Are you the one that solely makes the decisions in your household? Do you consult the Lord in prayer before you make a decision for your family, for your job, for your kids? Y'all, when you announce that you are a believer, it's, it's more than, hey, Jesus has come and lived in my heart. No, it's Jesus has now full reign of my life. My life is a blank check, Jesus. Michael, I just really don't know what I think about this whole king thing. Well, friend, get used to it because that's how it is and that's how it's going to be. And, and you wonder, well, you know, do I really need to do this? Jesus is a king. Let me tell you something about Jesus being king. It is not a question of will you worship Jesus. It is a question of when you will worship Jesus. The Bible says that a day is coming where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and every single thing that draws breath on heaven and on earth will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will be worshiped as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I don't know about you, but like when I learned that, okay, I'm not supposed to sit here in the throne of my life anymore. God, what am I supposed to do? And that's a great question. And, and nobody's ever told some of you. So I want to tell you what you should spend your life doing after you get up off the throne. It's not poking at it and saying, hey, can I sit there now? That's not what you're supposed to do. You and I were created and we were saved to serve. Saved to serve. Jesus didn't just call the disciples and bring them the gospel and say, hey, isn't this good news? Now here, just you just go on, keep doing what you're doing, Peter. Keep going fishing, Matthew. Keep robbing people. Keep collecting those taxes. You know, just keep going on with your life. No! He called them and he saved them so that they might serve. And here's the truth about serving. And this goes against everything that we believe against serving. Because serving takes time. It takes money. It takes energy. And when you look at giving more of those three things, I just kind of get a headache looking at giving more of those three things. Anybody else in the room being honest? No, I don't want to give more time. No, I don't want to give more money. No, I don't want to give more energy. Here's the truth about serving the Lord. It will fill your cup. It's the craziest thing I have ever seen or ever experienced. We got done having night of worship here a couple weeks ago, and Ariel, one of our residents, came and she just said, I just feel like I could run through a brick wall right now. And I know Ariel well. Ariel doesn't do drugs. She wasn't intoxicated. I mean, she was serious. And I said, Ariel, I said, can I tell you what that feeling is? She goes, yeah, what is that feeling? I said, that is called the joy of the Lord. 
when the joy of the Lord is your strength? And it comes when you serve and he fills your cup. The king is coming to rule and reign in the kingdom, and we are called to be servants. Let me tell you about two servants that I learned about this week. These two servants go to our church. These two servants bless our church. The first person that I have had a conversation with, they're here every Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. in the kitchen, making sure we got enough cups, making sure we got enough utensils, making sure we got good plates, not those cheap styrofoam plates where you show up at Thanksgiving and Christmas and you got to triple up on it just to put some food on it and bring it back to the table. Good plates, making sure that the food's good, right? We're not serving Hot Pockets up here and we only have pizza every once in a while. I mean, we got good food on Wednesday nights. I'm talking to this guy and I'm like, dude, how long have you been doing this? He said, uh, I think like 14 years. 14 years? 14 years? Are you tired? Nah. I like it. Fills his cup. Hey, heard about another lady at our church. Y'all, this is nuts. I'm about to blow your mind. Every Monday, every Thursday, every Monday, every Thursday, comes right over here to this preschool kids wing, picks up every toy that we have and wipes it down, cleans it, Y'all ever been back there? It's like your whole neighborhood had a yard sale and threw up back there. It's a lot of toys. And it's nice toys. And she's been doing this for five years. I, I started thinking about this, y'all. We are keeping wet wipes in business right here in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. We are paying the pension of somebody that worked at wet wipes. Five years. 14 years. Man, aren't you tired? Don't you want to stop? No, I love it. Fills my cup. A lot of things that Jesus commands us to do, and we think that it would leave us feeling one way, and the truth is, it leaves us feeling the exact opposite. Like, for instance, forgive your neighbor, love your enemy. Well, I'm just going to be more miserable. No. The commands of Jesus are always for your benefit, for my benefit. Hey, you know what's going to be awesome? It's going to be awesome when King Jesus calls those two servants forward, reads off the things that they have done, and gives them a reward for their service. 14 years counting out plates and napkins. And you know what? Hey, listen, I wrote in my word that every cup of water, everything you give away to people, I'm counting it just like you gave it to me. So-and-so, you, you kept thousands of babies from getting sick, cleaning them toys, and nobody saw it, nobody heard about it, nobody said thank you, but I saw it. I heard about it. I'm here to say thank you. I'm here to give a reward. The Bible says that God is going to reward each of us for what we have done. And when we come to the end of ourselves and stand before King Jesus, the highest honor that he could bestow on any of us will be this statement. Well done, my good and faithful. Listen, some of y'all banking right now on your life that Jesus is a liar, and I'm here to tell you, wake up, he's not a liar. 
He ain't going to call you a servant if you never, you never served. He's not going to call you a servant. The king is going to sit on the throne. He'll only sit there when we get up, and then he expects us to go to work and to serve. Well, Michael, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. Pray about it. Figure it out. But I do know this. When you start serving, it'll fill your cup. The nations will experience peace under the banner of this rightful king, Jesus Christ, when he comes. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16 is a passage of a picture of the peace that Jesus is going to bring and usher in at his second coming for all those who are ready. And let me tell you something, friend. The best way to be ready for the second coming of Christ, for the rule and reign of the second coming of Christ, is making sure that he's ruling and reigning in your life right now. If he is ruling and reigning in your life right now, you will be ready. Guarantee it. Don't wait to decide, well, I'll let Jesus rule and reign in my life once I get this figured out, once I can stop doing this, once I can get my kids out and life slows down. Friend, don't do that. Let him rule and reign right now in your life. You know, here's what the Bible says about this day. Joel chapter 2, verse 31 says this. It says that it is going to be a great and terrible day. A great and terrible day. The only time that I can think of when I thought that something was great and terrible at the same time would maybe be like a casserole, right? It was great as you were eating it, and then it wasn't, friend. You know what I'm saying? It was great and terrible at the same time. Hey, let me tell you why the Word of God says that this will be great and terrible. It's going to be great for those who are in Christ, for those who are covered by the blood, for those who understand, I don't need to sit in that throne. That throne is his, and I want him to sit there, and I'm surrendered, and I'm serving. It's going to be great for those people. Friend, for the others, it's going to be terrible. It is going to be a terrible day. Because time will be up. It will be over. It will be great and terrible at the same time. And here's the truth. You get to decide which type of day it's going to be for you. If it's going to be a great day, a day filled with peace, or if it's going to be a terrible day, a day filled with panic. Friend, if it was today, which one would it be? Would it be great or terrible for you? Hey, if it was today for your loved ones, what would it be for them? Would it be a great or terrible day for them? It was today for your coworkers. Would it be a great or terrible day for them? Don't miss the judge who's going to end all conflict. Don't miss the priest who reconciles all sinners with the living God. Don't miss the king who will unite and rule and reign over the nations forevermore. Don't miss it. He's coming again. Let me tell you four things that you need to do right now to be ready. Be ready for the rule and reign of Christ. Number one, you need to be saved. You need to have given your life to Christ to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, which is to say in English, Jesus, my life is a blank check. You're in charge of me, Jesus. I believe that you're the son of the living God. I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that Romans 10, 9 is true. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and the Bible says you will be saved. Friend, you need to be saved. Michael, I'm a good person. No, you're not. And I'm not either. We are terrible people. 
and we need to be saved from ourselves, from our sins. You need to be saved. The second thing that you need to do is you need to be baptized. Anybody else get to drop their kids off at school in the morning or see them as they leave or as they get on the bus? Anybody else? Just me? Man, y'all got to wake up. Okay, fine. It's just me. You know what I tell my kids? Last thing I tell them when I see them in the mornings. Yep. Say it again. Love you, right? Most important thing. I want them to know that. Now, I might say something like, hey, Reuben, just don't do that thing today. Don't do that today. Or Remy, <laughs> please don't say that. I know you heard that, but please don't say it. But I'm going to tell them what I want them to know the most, which is I love you. Hey, did you know that Jesus had a moment with his disciples where he literally told them everything else that they were going to need to know for the rest of their life? Here's what he told him, Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Jesus, how do we do that? Glad you asked. Teach them everything I taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Michael, I've never been baptized. I just really don't think it's that important. Friend, it's the very last thing that Jesus told his disciples to do was to go and baptize people. And I'm telling you by the authority of the word of God that if you have never been biblically baptized, you are not in the will of God. Jesus said, do it. So do it. Michael, why is it so important? It's because we believe in a risen Savior. When we baptize somebody, we believe that they're alive and they die and they come back to life. It's a picture, a visual of the resurrection, of the gospel. Do it. Hey, the third thing that you need to do, you need to be surrendered. Y'all, our churches are full of people who are saved and they're not surrendered. They're right there on the throne and they're miserable people. And I'm telling you, get up out of the seat and surrender. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. God, whoever you want me to be, I'll be. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. But Michael, that's scary. Yeah, but it's awesome because he shows up and you get to have Red Sea moments in your life where everything looked impossible and you just get to raise your hand and say, it was crazy, God showed up. It's awesome. Surrender. Hey, the fourth thing you need to be doing actively in a local church is serving serve the bride of Christ serve the bride saved baptized surrendered served let me mention this about baptism if, if you know today man I, I've not been baptized or my baptism was not biblical I want to encourage you to seek out a pastor in the next steps area we can baptize you this morning at the beginning of next service, as one of my old pastors used to say, that baptistry is just like a little Caesar's. It's hot and ready. Okay? We can do it today, right now. Do not wait. If you want to wait and you say, man, I've got friends, i got family, I want to be here, get on your phone. There's just the digital connect card on your phone. You can click it and sign up to be baptized any Sunday between now and December. We are serious about people getting baptized. I want to end with this. Jesus is coming back to bring peace as the just judge, as the great high priest, and as the rightful king. Here's the question. Are you going to experience peace at the second coming, or will you experience panic? It's your choice. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. Father God, we come, and God, we just praise you for your word, for how clear it is, for the implications that it tells us. 
God, I pray for my friends who are here this morning, God, who do not have peace in their life because they don't have you. God, I pray that you might speak to them, that you might convict and convince them, God, that you love them, that you have another way for them, that you sent your one and only son to live a perfect life so he could die a perfect death for them, that he's coming back to judge, he's coming as the priest, and he's coming as the king. God, thank you that you love us so much that you set out a plan for us. God, I pray for those who are in the room, God, who have never been saved, never been baptized, never really surrendered their life and who are not serving. God, would you begin all over them with your Holy Spirit right now, God? Would you convict them? Would you convince them so that they could have peace at your second coming? We ask that you would do this in Christ's name. And everybody